Mamas and future mamas out there, I just wanted to start by saying I am sending you all of my love and healthy, happy vibes. This can be a hard time for everyone, especially moms. And I am so grateful that you're taking time to listen to this podcast, and I hope that it brings you a little bit of light and joy. If you're enjoying what you hear, I would really appreciate it if you would share the podcast with a friend. I'm trying to reach as many moms as I possibly can, and I can't do this without your help. In addition, I would really love if you would take two seconds and just fill out a review, rate, and make sure you subscribe on iTunes. That way, more people can find us. Finally, I just wanted to remind you that if you check in the show notes of any of the episodes, you can find links to both of our sponsors, Hypno Babies for a 20% discount using Pumping Podcast, as well as the Kind Products. Check them out there. Now on to the show. This is Jess, and you're listening to The Pumping Podcast. This week, I sit down with Sabrina Bensalmi, a mama of five from London. Sabrina is out of the infant and toddler phase, but she is chock full of advice for mamas. We talk about how she formed a relationship of openness, honesty, and trust with each one of her children, and how she would constantly encourage her children to empower their strengths, passions, and curiosities, so much so that her children are all entrepreneurs. Her youngest, at just four years old, published a book. Needless to say, I loved our conversation and found that with her advice of encouraging your kids to be superheroes, you also are a superhero as a mom. Here's Sabrina. All right, here we are. Welcome. I'm so excited to speak with my first mama from across the pond, Sabrina. I'm so excited to chat with you. How about you share with everybody where you are joining us from? Oh, lovely. Thank you so much for having me, first and foremost. So my name is Sabrina Bensalmi, and I'm joining you from here in the UK, London, to be a bit more precise. First of all, I was looking up about you and researching you. I didn't even know where to start when I was, you know, researching a little bit about you. So I'm really looking forward to this. So you live in London. You have five children. You're out of the baby and toddler phase. But the thing that blows my mind, especially with all of your kids that I want to dive into a little bit later, is every single one of them are future focused and have this entrepreneurial spirit. One of your kids was four when he published a book. I mean, how does that even happen? Wow. <laughs> That's unbelievable. I mean, what do you say to, how did that, how did that, how did any of that happen? I'm just speechless when I, when I search on your kids. It's the most natural thing for children. So if you remember being in school, we all wrote stories and we all drew pictures. So the only thing we did differently as a family, and this is why I love what we love, is that we reflect back to other families that these are the things that kids do naturally, and this is what we can share with the world. So Amir, who was the one he was four at the time, he's now six, he was on stage with his siblings and seeing what's going on, and they gave him the mic, and he said he didn't have nothing to say, he didn't know what to say, so he would just say, hi, my name's Amir. And he came home really cross. And I mean, he was not pleased. Like anyone that's had a four-year-old, you know, <laughs> like, like, I'm not pleased, tantrum. And he said, you keep asking me to say things on the stage and I don't have a brand. We were like, a brand? <laughs> brand is like, we didn't really think he conceptualized what that meant. So he said, the reason he doesn't speak is because he doesn't have a brand like his siblings. And he said he wants to create one. So he said, but it's not fair. Everyone else is doing it. Why can't he? And I thought, I don't have an answer. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I 
I need to not. <laughs> I <laughs> so, guess you can. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, that night we sat down and we had a family meeting and he gave it to us and he told us he wasn't pleased and came up with a brand and it was from there and he's a very bossy four-year-old so he <laughs> was telling us where to put the pictures and telling us what affirmations were his favorite and it's a wondrous journey it's a wondrous journey that any parent can go on with their children wow that's really admirable I want to learn so much about them but first I want to focus a little bit on you and so I would love for you to kind of take us back in time before all those little ones came along what did life look like? What were you into? What was your job? What were your hobbies? Wow, excellent question. So my my background's in IT, computer programming. That's when I got a bachelor's in science, got my degrees in. Gosh, how far back do you want to go? Childhood, adulthood, or just before becoming a mom? How about just before becoming a mom, wherever that was? So I became a mom at 19. So I was, a, I was pregnant at 19, gave birth at 20. Um, and I had all these dreams and ambitions for what I would do when I grew up and when I became a mum. And when I fell pregnant, I was petrified. I was petrified for being pregnant, thinking, how on earth does it come through me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the reality. You know, me? <laughs> you know, all these things are going on. But one of the things that terrified me the most is that this is life. I'm, I'm responsible for someone else's life and I've never been responsible for that before. And that petrified me. Will I let her down or he down? I wasn't sure what I was having at the time. And all these thoughts were going through my head. So a lot of it was fear. So I didn't really get to have an adulthood. It felt like childhood, teenage, and then motherhood. So there were all these things going through my mind thinking, am I gonna fail my child? That was my biggest fear. It's like, how am I gonna raise a child when I'm, I'm practically a child myself, you know, just being 19? and all the stereotypes around teenage pregnancies. And it was just a very terrifying experience. But one thing I realized is that I was gonna use my why, being the love for my child to make it work for us. So we were together at the time, me and her father. And I just kept some praying to God, just, just show me, help me, teach me how to be a great mom. You know, there's no books on it. I know you, the people have written books, but there's no user man. You know, it's the hardest thing in the world. So I've always been very friendly, happy, go lucky. But motherhood changed me in such a dramatic way. It's unreal. Yeah, I can imagine. What was your support like? Did you have a pretty good supportive background? No. Um, so I was born into a family. So my mother's heritage is West Indian, St. Lucian, and my father's Nigerian, African. And from the moment of conception, both of my families resented my mother, resented my father, resented me. So I was the child that was never wanted them both. Like I was just everything that kind of stood for bad because it was the coming together of these two cultures that didn't want to be together. The Africans frowned upon the West Indians, the West Indians were frowned upon the Africans. So I grew up in this very turbulent environment. And the only thing that I knew is that, yes, my mum loved me, but everyone else hated me. I represented everything that wasn't supposed to be there. Wow. So they weren't allowed to get married. They weren't allowed to pursue their, their love to the extent my grandmother actually one time wet my mother's bed so she could leave the house, the family home. And I spent this time in limbo, sort of just being the ugly duckling, the one that no one wanted. I was too dark for this, too westernized for that. I was, I was never in a space in terms of my family home being accepted for just being me. So as you can imagine, it developed a lot of insecurities in myself growing up. Yeah. Um, 
didn't feel loved. I had like internal conflict. I had so much stuff going on. But when um, I've got this scar here, so I had a tracheostomy when I was, I think one. So I died three times. And there was one thing that I kind of held on to is that if I wasn't loved by something that's maybe greater than we understand, if I wasn't supposed to be here, I wouldn't have survived. So I always said there must be a reason for my life and it must be bigger than I understand now. So let me just hold on to that because there was nothing else I could have held on to. I met my father when I was about nine years old. And again, that was a very, very virtual interaction, but also when I look back, it was more of the needy little girl seeking out the desire of my father's acceptance, wanting someone to accept me. As I started to grow and I achieved more, they would like show up every now and again to kind of attach to certain things I did. And I was like just elated because it's like that acceptance, the one thing you always long for as a child. Yeah. But it took me a while to get out of that vicious cycle. So I was going through a lot of abuse in different ways from different members. And it took me years, Jessica, to be entirely honest, to really start reinserting myself back into my life and just learning to love myself. I'd walk past mirrors. I would never look at myself. I had such a big, deep sense of disconnection, but most of it was learned behavior, as you can imagine. Wow. So now I can, I can just imagine and I can see that having gone through that now as a mom, I mean, just from the little bit of quote unquote research that I've done on you, I feel like you have totally learned from that lesson and you look at all of your children and tell them you are perfectly enough just as you are. Wow. What do you think is the biggest lesson that you learned from that type of a childhood? Self-love, the importance of knowing yourself. I think my journey, it really did challenge me to find out what, why, why do these things happen? What does my life mean? What's the meaning for me? And one of the things that really stood out for me is that our life is what we choose to make it. You know, you can have a really turbulent lifestyle and you can have a lack of support, but you can still make it through, right? And it just means that we have to have our why. We have to have a focus that's bigger than us that would drive us through. It doesn't always make sense, but when you look back, you can start to connect the dots. And definitely my children became my why. And through them and seeing them and having to be responsible, accountable for them made me shift into, okay, I can sit here in this, pit of misery and this darkness and say it's not working or I can start saying actually what if my family can be a testimony of how it can work what if I can start thinking out let me put my hands up like how can I take responsibility for my own life how can I take responsibility for seeking out so if I was desiring love how can I start getting that in healthy ways because I started off in unhealthy ways so it was about my own habits of behaviors and start looking at patterns so Definitely the, the character that I had made me start being curious. What are the key components that are needed to somewhat seed into a child? It's not perfection. Like I always say to my kids, it's, it's my imperfection. That's my perfection. But just being open and honest is that, guys, I don't, I'm not going to get this right all the time. I, I need to check in with you. you know, let me know, am I doing okay? Um, you know, check in and tell me, like, what, what will be better? What can I do more of? What can I do less of? As a parent, you mean? Yes, definitely. Yeah. And I think that really helped me to really come to that full understanding of, as a parent, it's not for me to dictate to my children who they need to be. It's for me to listen to who they are and what their superhero skills are and assist them on that journey of becoming. Is that the main thing you would say 
that you did with your children specifically in teaching them how to self-love and how to focus on their passions and their abilities? Yeah, well, there was a lot of turbulence. So as you can imagine, someone having such low self-esteem, I had issues in my marriage as well. So there were dark days. So what we would do, we would learn side by side, but definitely the key element was like, who are they? Because one of the beliefs that we have as a family is that each member is an intricate part to a bigger piece to the puzzle. And we're all unique. And when we sort of interconnect, that makes that bigger picture. So it's about us realizing that what are our weaknesses? What are our strengths? And then we started to learn side by side. I wasn't ashamed of saying, hey guys, like I don't know what I'm doing here or I'm scared or we need to figure this out together. And I found that really gave me a playing field to stop holding up this personification of I need to be right all the time. I need to know yes. I need to have it together because I definitely didn't have it together. Well, and I think that's such a relief for moms to hear because we do kind of have this idea that as moms and as women, we always need to be on top of everything. We always need to have the answer. We always need to do what's best. And then we not only have that personally, but then when we're met with other moms or other situations, it's like, oh, are they going to this school? Oh, are you doing this type of feeding? Oh, are you doing that type of pumping? It's like, you are enough, you're doing enough. And I think it's really cool to think, to turn the tables and say to your kids, of course, like when they can communicate, but say to <laughs> your kids, you know, how am I doing? How can I improve? What do you need from me? I would say the amount of moms that actually do that are very slim. And that's such a cool tool that I think we all need to remember. It freed me. If I be yes. entirely honest, it freed me. It's so liberating because you're so right. There are all these pressures. What I realized is that I was everything and everyone to everyone. I was nothing to myself. And I just said, sod it one day. I said, like, I'm tired of, like you're saying, you know, I can pump here and feed here. You know, there's all these superheroes. And it's like we glorify women the more they deplete themselves, the more they forget about themselves. And we yes. celebrate. She's so selfless. And I'm going it's nice that she's caring, but why do we constantly pump our females with, you need to be selfless? I think it was so awful. So everyone was talking about, what's the legacy you're gonna leave? And I was thinking, I'm not dying yet. I don't want to leave a legacy. I would like to live a legacy and leave that legacy. And I got very angry at life. I, like, I, I did get very down, you know, I had my dark days and I literally just said, I can't do this no more. Because I have to be the perfect daughter. I have to be the perfect wife. I have to be the perfect mum. I'm going, but that's not the true representation of who I am. And if exactly. I allow myself to make mistakes, and we, we have like a, a family mantra, and part of it is that there's no such thing as failure, only feedback. So I created all these things purposely with my children to say that the reality of life is that I don't want you to get to 18 and go, oh, shell shock, that's how I was in life, because like I'd been taught one thing. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, wow, so the credit card, I've got to pay it. So I was like, wow, I don't want my kids to get to 18 and be shocked by life. Why can't I tell them that they've got a Emotions and they're going to cry and they're going to be scared and they're going to have heartbreak. Let me prepare them for life rather than actually misinform them and then put them even through more pain. Exactly. I've been loving, I don't know if you know who Brene Brown is. Sounds familiar. She is. She's, um, she has just several books. Daring Greatly is one of her biggest books. Um, and she had a Netflix special, which is awesome so if anyone has netflix go check it out Brene brown 
she's just she's been through it in her life too and she's basically just a motivational speaker and her books are very self-motivating but she launched a podcast recently that I've been listening to and one of the last episodes I was just listening to was exactly about that it was about how women are told to be selfless and congratulated for being selfless and you know of course there's an element of beauty in being selfless but if we give away too much then who are we and what are we left with right that's a beautiful share thank you that is that is so spot on you're quite right so of course it seems like your pregnancies and births all lasted you know <laughs> kind of a long time and went from a span what well, when when you had the youngest at what age was that the youngest one I would have been 35 six yeah 35 34 yeah 35. okay so I mean it you ran the gamut from 19 <laughs> to 34 <laughs> 35 right <laughs> So I'm I'm sure, you know, they all have their own stories, but in general, what were your pregnancies and birthing experiences like throughout oh, all, all five of those? Um, in in all honesty, horrific. Um I have zero tolerance for pain. You pinch me, I'll scream the whole house down. <laughs> <laughs> they were a mammoth of horrific experiences. Um I had terrible pregnancies. It wasn't morning I don't know why they call it morning sickness as I had it 24 hours all day sickness <laughs> so I, I carry very badly I'm I, I go into a state of ketones where my body starts eating itself like it was just I don't even know how I've had five babies in all honesty when I think about I'm like how um and it just really when I think about those essences it's like that's just a pure labor of love for me it doesn't make sense so it had to be love it doesn't make sense so there must have been a bigger picture as to why I put myself through that or went for it because every pregnancy was awful. The labors were just as much as horrific. I'm screaming more than I'm pushing. The woman's saying like, you're going to put yourself into a C-section if we don't start. <laughs> so like, yeah, Sabrina was all over the place. But funny enough, the fifth one, because I'm a slow learner, <laughs> I started with <laughs> hypnobirthing. <laughs> and yes. I, yeah, exactly. Caught onto it finally. But I started to connect with the inner self. And I think it was in an alignment that was when my, my healing started to happen for me, for me as a woman, is that if this body was created to carry a baby and to give birth to a baby, what's really going on? Like, is it all the terror and the fear of having this baby? Absolutely, it was. So I'm all up in my head screaming and I'm not connecting. I'm not listening. So that whole birthing of my son, the fifth one, was a rebirthing of Sabrina. It was a realignment mm. of Sabrina. So... The pregnancy was interesting, but the, the labor was a lot better than the others. <laughs> oh, that's so beautiful to hear. I actually did an episode with um, Carrie Tushoff, episode seven. She is the founder and CEO of a company called Hypno Babies, yeah. which is a type of hypnobirthing. Um, and yeah, I, and I also have a promo code on the show notes. If anyone listening wants to try Hypno Babies. One of my best friends did it. She didn't do it for the first pregnancy and did it with the second. She said it was life-changing. With the third, actually, she didn't have time to really even get into it because she came super quick and whoop, <laughs> there she was. She's like, I didn't even have time to really get into a hypnosis state, but she was there. So, but yeah, so, well, that's beautiful to hear. And I'm glad that even if it took five tries that you finally found a way to, <laughs> to get some enjoyment out of it. Yeah. So how have these, I don't even know how you can answer this question, but I'm going to go for it. How have <laughs> these five children affected your life? 
every birth has been an answer to each of my prayers. So as you can imagine, one of my biggest, I was an only child, one of my biggest prayers was to have a family, but each one of them came to teach me essence of me that I never knew existed. Um, all of them taught me a level, a depth of love and connection that I've never experienced in my entire life. Um, they're all different personalities. Lachey, the oldest one, she has always been a very intuitive. So I was pretty much a tomboy. She came along and I dressed up in all these clothes. And when, as soon as she was able to speak, I was like, no, mommy, I want pink, purple. And I was like, oh, like what am I going to do with this child? She doesn't want to play with these action men. And she taught me to reconnect to my femininity. And mm. she would say to me, you take your time, mommy. You run so quickly and trust people so easily. And you're so open and you wear your heart on your sleeve. And I'm looking at this child going, I thought I had to raise you, but it feels like you're raising me. And each time I birthed another child, it was a complete different experience. And, you know, your listeners as parents will understand this is that for me being a single and only child, I didn't have that awareness that you're all in the same house, you all eat the same food, you all do the same things, but you're different. It's like, oh God, that's crazy. Like, that's, this is so weird. So I, I was on this learning curve of, I have to parent each child specific to their own individual characteristics. And that was a shock for me. That was such a shocking shift. But each one taught me something different than you had Trey Sean. He was like my Bam Bam. If you've seen Flintstones, he came in, he worked my world. And like I had my daughter, I'd put her down in the room. I'll do all my housework, my cleaning, my cooking, everything's done. I come back, she's still there. I would do it with his son. I'm like, where's my son? What's going on? I'm a bad mom. Like, he's going to learn stuff. He would just be running and crashing and jumping. And I'm like, what's happening? But I was always somewhat quite introverted and these kids were just shaking up my word and world and more so he was teaching me to come out of myself he was teaching me to use my voice and scream more and be more and each child I had then my next one she was teaching me to love more connect more and heal more and just telling me to take my time and reminding me of who I was as a child and then my other son oh lord have mercy he teamed up with the other brother (laughs) And yeah, they continued to rock my world and then the little one came. So each one of them, I would say, housed an intricate gift that really contributed to the family in ways that I cannot even put into words. Oh, when you started talking about your your daughter, your firstborn, it gave me a little bit of chills because it made me think, here you were not ready to be a mom, but also probably, I'm going to put words in your mouth, but probably feeling lost you probably put up some armor that you needed to take down if you were feeling like a tomboy you probably did that as of being a sense of security right and then the fact that it was a girl and that she then was feminine and wanting to lighten you up and break down those walls like what a beautiful visual that is what did you do do you think that might have been that might be different than other moms have done, or maybe not different, but what just what specifically did you do that has encouraged this entrepreneurial spirit in these kids that you have? Because it's unlike anything I've ever seen. I ever. love this question. I love all your questions. I really love this one because the truth to that answer is very easy is that it would have been everything because I wasn't exposed to what was the norm. Because I was so isolated, I grew up quite isolated. I became, I had such low confidence as I was growing up. I spent a lot of time at home. So the interactions with other people was quite limited. So one of the things that I did differently, I was always swimming upstream. 
it was like, if everyone's going that way, I would go the opposite way. And it was because one of the thick beliefs that I, we house as a family is that the results that people are getting as a, as a result of the things that they're doing, the actions. So I started to say, well, why do the kids do after school clubs that are all the same? Why do we network? And because I didn't have family, aunts, uncles, extended family, grandparents around. So my mum was there, but I didn't have that extended family. So there wasn't any of that kind of, you know, the family support would give you that kind of guidance. So it was a case of, Hey guys, like let's just try it out. Let's experiment. So we would do personal development together. We would learn about emotional intelligence. We would learn about the intricacies of the brain. So instead of just teaching my kids maths, I would learn about ancient math techniques. Instead of teaching my children how to read, I would go and there was a system called My My Baby Can Read. So we were like looking at intricate ways of how the mind works because for me it was new been on the journey with mums whereas if you come from a family there'll be things that are somewhat handed down and people will say I'll oh, do this with the baby do that whereas it was just a blank slate for me so I, I am when I talk to mums now what I realize is that we did a lot of things different whereas the traditional after school clubs my child would be with a mentor and learning how to trade so I'd find out what are their skills what are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? And what do they enjoy? Because I feel that kids will always learn best when they're in a, a state of happiness and laughter. It's so interesting that you mentioned in the previous question about being an only child and then, you know, having to raise these children. And I'm an only child as well and without kids as I'm a mama in training. <laughs> and so I'm curious, <laughs> I'm curious when you then had a second and then a third, was your world, I mean, clearly your world was shook, but was your world kind of shook a little bit with now seeing siblings and half, having to navigate that sibling road when you had never been down that before? <laughs> yes. That's a fantastic This question. is a totally selfish question. No, I'm asking this for me. <laughs> I'm not actually laughing at you. I'm laughing at me. So my first interactions my kids were like closeness is everything for me remember that's a romance when you've never been around siblings so here I am doing yes. my, my housework and I hear give me my toy uh, uh, and I'm going oh and I heard I hate you so I'm in tears that like, I'm supposed to be mum I'm in tears going oh my god you said you hate I'm on the phone I go mum they said they hate each other I'm finding my friends I go in siblings so like yes my world was like and it was it's so comical because people that have siblings are like you serious? Is that all? Like my kids take exactly. So they 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 weren't physically hurting each other. They were just saying words. And I was like, I mean, I was a mess. Like I needed help. Forget about them needed help. I'm like crying. Going, exactly. Why are you doing that for? If you love someone, and they're looking at me, and my friend, someone I called, and my mum go, don't talk to them like that. They're gonna feel so confused because <laughs> they haven't done anything. <laughs> so absolutely, it was, it was a, a threshold for growth for me going wow oh, they're just asserting their boundaries they're just working out like who's the hierarchy system I didn't know that <laughs> exactly exactly we're every we're every system wherever every hierarchy <laughs> exactly oh so yes oh that's a beautiful question I've had a few moments like that. oh that's <laughs> that's so interesting now, I loved when you mentioned earlier on about a family meeting is that something that you implemented from the start and how has that kind of transformed or helped as a family unit? Family meetings are so crucial, you know, like you've even zen me out. 
communication in families is the difference that makes the difference is the difference between life and death when we're talking about things like domestic abuse and all that. if we teach our children to communicate as young as possible not just when it's bad not just when it's good but in every variation so such a good question when did it start roughly when Trey Sean was about seven she 11 maybe 2011 and it's an essence that is anybody that can call a family meeting doesn't matter who it is how old they are because one of the things that I think is if we install respect and healthy values, see, I was going through a lot of domestic abuse. So I had to reach for things that could help gel my family. And I felt that it's so important that they talk. It's so important that they know that I'm here. It's so important that it's, it's not like keep a secret, pretend things are not happening. We needed to talk. And I feel that the family meeting is really a healing table. It's time to just sit down, connect, eat food. Sometimes we do it around dinner, but sometimes we just do it just around the table. And I am, I really encourage all families to do that as early as possible because it's a game changer. Yeah, I remember I would have, now my family was very small because it was me and my mom and then my stepdad came along. But um, we would have family meetings. I mainly remember them in high school, but maybe they started before then. But it wasn't a set time or anything like that. It was just like the way it was, you know, let's call one. And it makes me think because I'm actually reading this book about families and couples and this and that. And they were talking about the importance of dinner time. And I know in 2020, it's a little bit hard to maybe all sit down at the dinner table at the same exact time. 1950s, that was different, but it's a little challenging so if that's not possible, then I think something like a family meeting is just a great idea to get everyone on the same page, get grounded, communicate. I think that's a beautiful thing important. to implement. And even like to 2020, we still sit down and eat meals. Like that is so important because you're quite right. I've spoken to families and they say, we just don't eat meals together. My teenagers like to sit on their own in the rooms and we all just go to our own corners. But I think the whole table coming together, it's, it's a sacred space. It really is. Yeah, I I 100% agree. And I know that it's challenging for people. But even if it was maybe like every Sunday night, or, you know, just a couple times a week, it might be. Might What's be also quite try. good, like on that, you got me so excited about this. I love this area. <sighs> it's have an anonymous spots because sometimes depending on the family dynamics, and you will know what your family dynamics is. But my husband is quite a rage and it's very ragey, high pitch. And sometimes it's it can be misunderstood, but it was still, it makes some kids who are a bit more sensitive feel unsettled. So we have like anonymous spots and it's like, you just drop a note. No, obviously you can sort of tell by the handwriting, but don't tell them. <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's just drop, <laughs> drop a note, mum will read them all out. But it's a case of when you're around the table, everyone needs to say something. So even the person that's called the meeting, although they wanting to address something or share something, it's like giving everyone an opportunity, especially the ones that wouldn't normally speak, use the anonymous box. It gives everyone a chance to have a voice. And however loud or quiet that is, it's just really important that that infrastructure in the family is that everyone's voice is important. That's a great idea. Is that something that you would have out at all times for them to drop something in at any time? Yeah, we did that when they were little. They're quite verbal now. <laughs> but when they were younger, we just had it out and it was an anonymous box. And it's quite funny. You'll see them having interesting ways to put it, like sliding across the wall, going down, <laughs> and you sort of pretend you can't see them. So it's fun, but it's really important going, actually, the child that doesn't really like to use their voice publicly, you're teaching them to do it one way or another. So it's very important. My son used to love just writing down. He didn't really like to verbalize. So he would write things mm -hmm. down and he would get it 
into the box and we would discuss it. And I think it's so important that that was there because otherwise he wouldn't have said anything. I love that idea. Do you have any other advice for moms, especially those with younger children, um, maybe ones who really are wanting to raise future-focused children? Oh, yeah. Look into your child's eyes and say, I know I've got a little, I know your secret and say, someone tells me that you've got superhero skills. You'll see a little light bulb go off. And they go, really? They say, yeah. <laughs> but they said, I've got an arc you. And I did this with my children. And that was a game changer because when you recognize the greatness in your child, they start to activate. And I really believe that us as parents, our kids don't belong to us. They come through us but they're here for the future. We don't know what their future is going to be like, but inside of them is a sacred message. And if we can activate them and tell them that it's good enough and they're good enough, they will start to share with you wondrous things. The other thing you should do is whenever you're doing something, you might be a stay at home mom, you might be a working mom, whatever it is, always ask for their opinion. Always say like, what do you think about this book? Can you help me this? Can you teach me this? Children don't like to be told what to do. I used to be like, bumping heads can you read this book no I don't want to tantrum time and I was like how am I going to get past this it's not working so instead of saying can you read this book and I knew they had to read it for like a project or something I would say I've read this book I don't quite understand it can you help me out and they're like yeah mom you know you don't understand much you know I'm gonna, you're old now I get it <laughs> yeah trying to smile I'm like okay but it's learning to communicate with our kids sometimes we don't understand they speak a different language to us even playing with six-year-olds like my six-year-old now he would misbehave and I'd say to him don't do that Amir don't do that Amir and he would do it and mess around and I say okay Amir do it go on give it your best shot and he starts laughing and he runs off We've got to understand the way our children are biochemically programmed. And if we can take, a number one, a deep breath, like really take time for yourself, take a deep breath, take two steps back and start seeing what's going on. Start seeing what life is mirroring back to you and just get them immersed into the arena that they love the most. Because once you build top a child up with the confidence of, I love this and I get to do that, they will do everything else. Okay, so I've got a child that wants to go into engineering, um, my daughter um, photography, one loves animals, one loves maths, and the other one just likes to be everywhere. And they all get their own immersive experiences with their mentors, varied interactions, but they've found their greatness. And the best award, I've won many awards and I've got many accolades, but the one that I am most proud of is that my children surprised me with a Mother of the Year award. And for me, that's what ticks the box. It doesn't mean I'm the best mum. It means I'm the best mum to them. And for me, that's all. Mm -hmm. I love the advice that you gave too, because it's giving them the power. And I think so often kids you're right, they're just told what to do. But if they're given the power, you know, in kind of a sneaky way. I remember when I was younger, um, my stepdad would do this a lot with me, actually, especially with eating something at the table. I never really liked salad or anything like that. But he would always say, I don't think that you can <laughs> eat all of that. Nah, there's no way. He's like, you? you're so little, you have a tiny belly. There's no way you can eat all that. And so instead it made me like, I'm going to show him Yay, and I would exactly. eat it all up. Right. <laughs> so I think it's so true. And in, in any aspect of trying to teach them something, if you can kind of think around, around in a different way, that's so smart. So my last question for you, that is a little bit different because I know you have your, your oldest, she's 19 or 18. 19. She's 19 now. Wow. So 
it's it's a little bit different, but you can adjust it if you want. So my my final question is always, what is something that you want to tell your children now for when they are 18? But with your oldest, you can maybe push it out a little bit. I love that question. I love it because it feels like my life has been a continued of what do I want to tell them because everything's new. And um, I think the the most precious thing that I always say to my kids is that they're fully supported for who they are. They are enough. They are listened to and they are good enough. And whatever they choose to experience in their life, they can provide them that they're willing to first ask ask that of themselves and then ask that of other people that can join in on their vision and just just self-trust you know so much that I didn't know about myself growing up being a young lady um, it's a perfect question because this is what me and my daughter are talking about and one of the things I did I got her a promise ring so because I didn't have that role model around in my life so I got a promise ring and I learned this from a Christian movie that I spoke I, I watched and the promise ring is to her to make a promise to herself about what standards she's gonna maintain in her life as a woman, because I didn't know what that was. So that was really my message is that just inserting in her things that I didn't have, financial education, setting up her pension. So she's managed to do savings and get her pension in place and she knows where she's going and she's surrendering to the, the kind of organic process in life and just not just taking it easy. Don't having to push against the brook wall. Sometimes it's not being more, having more, doing more just surrendering. And if we can surrender more sometimes and stand still, I know it's a very long-winded answer. It's just, I'm so passionate. No, we've been having yeah. lots of conversations about this lately. And those are the messages that I would really give to my child, my older child. Well, I think it's so beautiful too, because it's kind of come full circle. She's 19 where you started your motherhood journey. And I'm sure that that's scary and exciting and cautious and like so many different things. But... <laughs> oh, I've got to tell you, this oh. is just a short time. Um, so yeah. my mom was 20 when she gave birth to me and I was. So you can imagine the obvious conversation we had. And she kept my daughter, Lachey, she came to me, she said, mom, I'm not going to prick my finger on the spindle. I'm going to break that, <laughs> that generational curse. <laughs> wow. Said, that's good on you yeah that's the way she said it well we were in a conversation just laughing about it because we were watching with the other with my other daughter oh my gosh I love that beautiful thing to say in a jokey way but having a serious element is that she's turning 20 in June this year and it really is that all of the work that we've done all the talking all of the energy has paid off because we've shifted two generations of what could have happened to liberating her to go into her womanhood to be certain she knows who she is she has values, she has support system I didn't have that so the question you asked me is so oh it's heartfelt thank you very much congratulations that's a huge accomplishment in itself and then you have four other ones to go. <laughs> <laughs> I think they'll be all set <laughs> yeah, once the ones sorted, they all follow they all want to um, impress the older siblings so it's amazing <laughs> Yes, absolutely. How can people find you and follow you? Um, so I'm on all social media, Sabrina Ben Salmi on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And, you know, reach out. Same surname. Ben Salmi is the surname. No hyphen. B-E-N space S-A-L-M-I. Wonderful. And I'll put all of those links in the show notes as well. Oh, what a joy it's been speaking to you. And, you know, I usually speak with moms who are... A little bit newer moms or toddler stage and something like that but 
it was really nice to talk to you because you had a totally different perspective and you came from a totally different upbringing and I'm just, I'm really enamored at the uh, accomplishments that you've made. It's so beautiful. Thank you so much for having me. It's been amazing and amazing questions as well. Thank you. The Pumping Podcast is a podcast for moms and by moms, and I am your host. I'm not yet a mama. I'm a mama in training. If you're enjoying what you hear, please take a minute on iTunes to subscribe, rate, and review so more mamas out there can find us and listen along while they're pumping or breastfeeding. If you'd like to be a guest and share your story, email me at thepumpingpodcast at gmail.com. You can also email me if you have any questions for any of my guests, and I will reach out, get those answers, and relay them to you in a follow-up episode. A big thank you to my friends Ashley and Kelly for the use of their baby's laughter, and my dear friend Erin Adams for writing my gorgeous theme song. You can follow along on Instagram at The Pumping Podcast, and go ahead and share the podcast with a mama you know. Until next time, keep on pumping.